We are officially live with this one. Hello to all my Biconics wrestling nerds out there. And welcome to the first ever Biconics wrestling podcast live stream pay-per-view review, you guys. Holy Toledo, we are in the house. Let's go. The production value, my God. <laughs> See, you thought I, I was joking when I said before we started that I spent four hours making sure everything was in place, everything looks clean, everything worked well. Ah. That was good. That was good. <laughs> that is much appreciated. Oh my goodness, we are here for, like I said, for the official <laughs> Grapple Gurus pay per view review series that we got going on here at the Biconics Wrestling Podcast. And today, tonight, this morning, wherever you're tuning in from all over the world, we are here to review AEW World's End 2023 pay-per-view that took place from Long Island, New York on Saturday, December 30th, 2020. First and foremost, gentlemen, Happy New Year. We made it to 2024. This is Happy New Year. And Happy New Year to our, our audience out there, wherever you are at. Let's go for more in 2024. It's already starting off strong. Come on, we're here, we're live. It is a beautiful thing. Joining me tonight to review World's End is some of the other AEW boys. First and foremost, you can find him co-hosting the Rampage Cleanup Crew reviews with me, the one and only, the nerdy Puerto Rican himself, Adolfo, my friend. Thank you so much for being here. Saludos, programas. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. I love it. Sign language applause in here for you. Yes, we love to see it. And then, of course, rounding our review panel for now is one-third of the Just Our Three Gents Dynamite review team. And you can also catch him all over at The Bro, where we review Ring of Honor as well as filling in when need be. He is also one half of the OG Biconics when we started this thing two and a half, three years ago. Mr. JVL, sir, my brother, I am so happy to have you. I am happy to be here. Thank you for allowing me to stay up late on this wonderful Monday night with all yeah. of you. I'm so excited. As I mentioned before, we are here to review AEW World's End. Before we jump into the review proper, gentlemen, let's do some quick thoughts. Some people have said that this was the worst AEW pay-per-view to get put out this year. I'm inclined to disagree a little bit, but this was, a, for me personally, this was a weird card for sure. I thought there were some highlights, but I also thought there was some glaring lowlights, which we'll talk about. But I'm going to come to you, Adolfo, first. What are your overall thoughts of World's End? Worst pay-per-view? No. No. By far not. Were there some odd spots? Were there some things that should have maybe pulled, been pulled out? and give an extra time to some other matches. Yes, uh, I must say that. But uh, by far, I don't think that this was the uh, the worst pay-per-view that AEW did uh, this year. Admittedly, though, it wasn't the strongest. It would have been nicer if they would have ended the, the year on a, on a bit of a stronger note. But it was what it was. I was entertained. JVL, what did you think of World's End? Initial thoughts? Again, uh, it's not the worst they've had. They had a couple hiccups going along. Uh, when I first watched the show live, I was confused. And that's what I can say best about it. It wasn't disappointing, just confusing in a lot of ways. But this was not the Arthur Ashe Stadium show. This wasn't stuff like that around there. This was just the last gasp, just like the year. It felt like it needed a little more oomph and didn't have it, but it wasn't terrible. 
I didn't think it was terrible either, but we'll get it. There are certain matches that I think we all unanimously agree on that we're like, huh? I am going to forewarn anyone watching this. There is going to be one match in particular where we may be referencing some news that may have broken a few hours before said pay-per-view. So just as a trigger warning, we may be referring to some sort of SA and some not so good things done against women in particular. So just a forewarning and I will remind everyone again once we get to said match. But we got a lot to cover, and we're going to try to keep this thing under an hour. I say that, but it never happens. <laughs> but here we go. <laughs> so we're going to briefly first go over Zero Hour. So Zero Hour opens up with Willow Nightingale versus Chris Statlander. My first thing that I'm going to say, then I'm going to let my co-host speak for a bit. This should have been on the main card, point blank period. I'm just putting it out there. I feel minus the botches. I still think this was a stronger match than some of the ones that we got on main card. JBL, I'm going to come to you first. We love Willow. We love Chris. We all unanimously agree about that. How did you feel about their outing on Zero Hour? This should have been on the main card. We said this during the live stream. And if you haven't joined our Patreon yet to learn about what we did in the live stream, that's where our live video from it is. I suggest go and support us there so you can see all of our wonderful jokes. We basically MST3K'd the entire thing really badly. But Chris and Willow work well together. We know that they're always really tough competitors. And then having Stokely Hathaway to keep the commentary in line again was much needed because out of everyone, Nigel McGuinness was the closest to supporting women's wrestling during this, but having Stokely there to further the storyline and help sell when we had things lulls in the match or building up to another thing was really needed as well. But overall, these two, they need to work a few more matches together because they are magic in the ring. I love these two. I can watch them fight all day. Adolfo, Willow, and uh, Chris. So I totally concur. If you haven't seen the Rampage Cleanup Crew review, go ahead and watch it. It's out on YouTube right now. But I did post up in there how it this match it was literally a last-minute edition of a match when it should have been announced way ahead of time and put on the main card. Yes, there were a few weird botches. I don't know if that was because maybe someone... Uh, got injured or maybe it was that they were both working for the home crowd so they had um, you know maybe they had that those type of butterflies uh, as a performer I, I can tell you when, when I'm when I performed in front of my New Jersey crowd it's a totally different feel than when I'm performing out of state so it may, they might have had those those butterflies in their stomach performing to their home crowds but uh, no it was a great match you saw the power that willow brings you saw the agility that chris Statlander brings i hope that they build up from this with them in one way or another i also selfishly hope that this transfers over to roh for a little bit too because again with stokely involved we could have a very cool cross-promotional tag team or just like they battle everywhere in every city they can something like that to, to put along so now let me ask this do we think that they're gonna that they might build up uh willow and chris to be the foil to sith blue and and julia hart thank you yeah. tip my tongue thank you yeah so do we... that's always fun there yeah i, I uh, think it could be of some or some sort of four-way match at a big pay-per-view coming up between the right. four 
Right. Mikey? I, yeah, honestly, I just want these two to fight more often. I'm hoping that we do get crossover with ROH because I feel that Willow is ROH native too because she's been there. She had my women's matches. She had one of my women's matches of the year. So I hope she goes to ROH. And honestly, I also feel that Chris also belongs on ROH too because she is just that phenomenal. And I would love to see her mix it up with some of our ROH women's division. I think we're not done with Willow and Chris. I think whether it's them continuing to feud or we throw in the Dark Arts Academy that is Julia Hart and Sky Blue, <laughs> we shall see. Yeah. I was. Yeah, I, this match is good. Yeah, I do have to just say really quick. So, I, in my pick, I did pick Willow to win. But I thought that we were going to see the resurgence of Dark Willow because they seem to have all of a sudden kind of dropped that from the, from the Willow Sky Blue Sith Blue thing. Because Willow earlier in the year, she did get sprayed by the Julia Hart mist that turned Sky Blue into Sith Blue. And I thought that the same was going to happen to Willow Nightingale, but I guess her positive vibes just fought it off. Which is cool. I'm not knocking that. Um, vibes, you mean that the bookers went, oh no, we don't have a lot of babyface women in the division and we need to have a few more to take on all of our heels that that too but yeah so i'm, I'm happy will and angelo got the w on this definitely i am too i was excited this got me pumped for the rest of zero hour and then it just went to a or a promo we had in between here oh let's talk about this quick promo what if yeah. me and jbl's personal favorites and for those that really love women's wrestling we got a quick promo that we are getting Serena D back on AEW television. Yes. The real professor, not the one who's not here tonight. The real professor of, of professional wrestling. I'm so excited that Serena's coming back because I feel that with Thunder now back and Serena now back, you need to inject this women's division. Not to say that it's lacking, but I feel that World's End was used to clean up a little bit of storylines that are lingering in 2023 i'm ready for serena to basically face anyone at this point <laughs> I, yeah i so the other day yesterday actually alice and i we were heading down to uh sesame place to take the boys to sesame place and we actually had this conversation where I, with serena coming back and then rosa back being back i'm sure Britt baker is about to come back that Hopefully, we're going to see a revitalized women's division in AEW. And hopefully, the AEW bookers will listen to the constructive criticism and start pushing the women's matches. There was a whole thing Soraya put out today, the, that trend that's going on TikTok of, I'm a what, and all these things. I said yeah. of you. And yep. they directly address it in that as well. But with Serena coming back, with Thunder coming back, with Hater on the way back as well. Jamie Hater. Jamie never Hater, that's right. Like, yep. there are so many storylines that are coming to them quickly. They'd be very, very behind the times if they didn't actually grasp onto this, especially because they've been left in the dust now by WWE, who's got two women's matches a night, which is ridiculous. Yep. If they want to set themselves apart, as WWE is claiming all of their TV time and everything else, put the women first. They will carry you to success. Yeah, who would have thought WWE would have turned that corner? 
just like a few years ago, the big draw with the women's matches were the stupid freaking bra matches and nonsense like that. And now, like, it, you have... Yeah, uh, we're not going to talk about that out here. We're, we're, let's talk about AEW. We're gonna, that, tune, in about for the, tune in for the Viconics, <laughs> the BC WrestlePod episode coming later this month where we're going to talk about anything and everything. But again, I was on a high. This was great. And then the rest of Zero Hour happened after this match and this amazing promo we got from Serena because then we get into this TNT Championship 20-man battle royale. I called it. I called this. In hindsight, I shouldn't have used... I shouldn't have done in predictions the throwaway, but you know what? Honestly... I didn't know how it was going to play out, but I knew it's not going to really matter anyways. And boy, howdy, was I proven right later. But basically, this is the equivalent to the Money in the Bank contract where whoever wins this gets a TNT championship match anytime, anywhere. You had 20 men on the AEW roster, or you're supposed to have 20 men on the AEW roster, but we borrowed a couple people from Ring <laughs> And of course, as always, Ring of Honor gets no respect. <laughs> Don't guess I was so upset. I did like how he and Johnny TV were just fighting the entire time, but they were gone too quick. It made my heart happy to see Dalton Castle on a pay-per-view because the man needs more promotion anyways. But yes, this was like, unlike Money in the Bank where they can further other storylines like the Rumble, like where they would put storylines within it so you can see things happen. This was building toward an end. And that was shown off by putting Lance Archer and Luchasaurus. I'm not calling him Kill Switch. Kill Switch. Luchasaurus, dang it. Kill Switch. Which I loved on the stream. Then Adolfo, I love that we were yelling out every time that in the later match when Christian would do his finishing move, he's doing the Luchasaurus. Get <laughs> him with Luchasaurus! <laughs> so good. But yes, yeah, so putting the big men under tables outside and then like having everyone fight for a while. Inventive. I haven't seen that before on a lot of things, especially because it started outside the ring. I wonder if there's going to be like this was going to be like the King of the Mountain or the Reverse Battle Royal for some reason because they all started directly outside the ring. But it was full of a couple of high spots, some people that didn't need to be in it that were in it, and in general, I loved the final two. Once we got rid of Lance Archer. Yeah, I number one. I really like that nifty leather folio that they gave the winner. In lieu of a, a briefcase like Money in the Bank, it's just this leather full of here. We got, this at, yeah, we got this at Staples down the road in, in, in Nantucket, Long Island. stationary so. section, though. This was, like, monogrammed. <laughs> but in all seriousness, I actually enjoyed the. As far as Battle Royales go, I enjoyed this one. I will say I was really disappointed that there were no, luch, no luchadors because typically for these types of matches, that's the one they'll bring out a bunch of luchadors to do their thing and they didn't so that didn't happen i didn't get my penta uh fix so that sucked but the match overall i thought was fine it was entertaining i did and i think it's because i had to go do something when the match started so when the two biggins came out from underneath the table I was like, oh, whoa, where did they come from type situation? But uh, yeah, no, it was cool. I enjoyed it. I liked the ending of it until the ending ended up doing something else Yep. later on down the road. But I, I liked the ending. I liked the ending. At the time, it was the right one. At the time, it was a great way to set up a, what could have yes. been a long storyline. Yes. Yep. But then. Which we'll get to. 
we'll get into that because I have a lot of feelings when it comes to that one. By, by the way, Luchasaurus won. Kill switch. Luchasaurus won. The doctorate, the person that has the doctorate in history and is also a big video game nerd won. So I can't be upset about that one. But something that we could get upset about just because of how want it was, I wanted this next match to go harder than it was. But to end out Zero Hour, we had an FTW championship match where Hook defended the title against Wheeler Yuta. I have to say, I wanted more from this match. I don't, it was fine, but there was a lot of missed opportunities for me personally. <sighs> go ahead, JVL, and then I'll go. Car windshield. We needed that 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 kind of catharsis. No, I think it was best summed up by how we were like looking at the construction of the match as we we're watching this and on the live stream. Because as when Wheeler Yuta pulls out that FTW branded like trash can lid, and then we're like, okay, so basically they have their set props over here that they only have so <laughs> much time to get to, and it's really not this kind of no disqualification match. Really, they should have had a regular match between the two of them, anyways. But it just it it. It lacked a coherent through line. Even some no DQ matches have, and it became more just about who can pull off the bigger spots. How are we going to get this through? And Taz losing his mind on commentary because his son's in the match. Yeah, I'm happy Hook won, not because there's anything great coming from this, but that it could further a few with Wheeler Yuta for the pure title down the road now, where he can come and do his style match, and you now have that balance with them. But they're not bad together. It just wasn't the right type of match to have at this one. It should have been before the Battle Royal on Zero Hour. Yeah, yeah it, this was a disappointing match. I was really hoping that this match was the match that was going to make me care about the FTW belt, and it didn't. Uh, I disagree. I feel that had Wheeler Yuta won, and we all know my feelings on Wheeler Yuta, all right? I feel that had he won then we would have put some stakes on this FTW belt and we could have had Hook go from not knocking the guy's wrestling, he's a good wrestler, but having him go from this like cardboard cutout Orange Cassidy to actually like, I lost my belt and I want to go get it. So I'm going to go get it. And then, you know, like on Raw, uh, on Dynamite or Rampage or what have you, we could have had spots where he's doing like Rocky training or some stuff like that so that he could, you know, get the belt back. But like, it just, I felt like this match just missed on so many beats in that regard. As a wrestling match, as a, as a no DQ style match, you know, as, a, as an extreme match, it was mid as it a met two people who are sensibly submission masters too like yeah so uh, it, it yeah it they didn't need all the extreme stuff like the garbage can and the chair all that they could have left all that oh and the hockey stick that totally didn't break before it was supposed to break and then broke uh, another spot and then, and then broke another spot broke. You're right. Like, they could have done away with all that, and if he would have just ha let them have a match, it would have been so much better. So much better. That hockey stick spot really made me go, ah, because literally it just it hit Wheeler, and it just stayed there because of the angle. I was like, oh, my goodness. I also felt that the ending was a bit, oh, okay, that's how we're doing this. Takes the hockey stick, like, some, gets Wheeler in... A submission for Wheeler to tap out really quickly. I'm like, oh, 
I guess yeah. that's what we're doing. Okay. I also wonder if this would have felt like a better no DQ match or hardcore match had we not had the TNT Championship match later in the night that did it ten times better. Yeah, and I didn't want I didn't want to say that, but th this I feel you're right, JVL, that this match suffered from that TNT no DQ match championship match that did it 10,000 times better. You can make an argument that in that match, in that TNT championship match, you had two masters of the craft going at it. And these two, and I know Wheeler and, and, and Hulk have been wrestling for a while, but comparatively to, to Christian and Adam Copeland, they're rookies in the game especially when it comes to no DQ extreme style matches. So I, I yeah, so I, this match definitely suffered from that match just being, we'll talk about it. <laughs> you guys are way too nice. Even if we didn't get that TNT championship match, in my opinion, this was a lame no DQ match period because come on. And this is, you're going to hear this reoccurring thing, but we had better hardcore women's matches on regular weekly television than we did on pay-per-view. I'm going to pull up the most recent one. Chris and Willow versus Mercedes and Diamante in that street well, fight. That is how fight. it's... Yeah. yeah. But even still, I was disappointed, and I feel that this does nothing for Hook and Wheeler Yuta, so hopefully... I want to see Wheeler defend more in Ring of Honor since he is the pure champion. And I'm hoping we actually start putting Hook into some actual like storyline stuff and not just meandering around. Maybe he's with best friends. Maybe he's not giving more Hook housing. That's what I want. Can we please yeah. get more Dan housing on our yeah, team? Right? MVP of that Battle Royal. Right. Anyway. The man sells right. business. Oh. So that covers zero hours so now after we get the opening promo video which shout out to whoever makes those things because i'm like those are great we open up the main card of world's end with the how do i put this the losers like four on four match like the consolation prize for not winning the continental classic though this match was a banger though in my opinion but this is the all-star eight-man tag which saw claudio castagnoli Ryan Danielson, Mark Briscoe, and Daniel Garcia taking on the team of Brody King, Jay White, Jay Lethal, and Roosh. I like this match. This was fun. I love that you put it in context of the losers of this, whereas they're definitely mirroring the G1 so much because the next night after Wrestle Kingdom is always where you get these like multi-man tag matches between those that lost in the blocks or anything else, but you have them usually in a way to set up heels versus faces, Survivor Series style, or there's been like a long running history of these people. What got me on this was there was no rhyme or reason to either team. Because there weren't like it was a mix of heels and faces because the BCC is, is neither, and then you have like people that, that ostensibly were in different groups working together for some reason. The winner of it, the person that took, that made the pin, I'm so happy that Daniel Garcia yeah. was featured in this yeah. match as he basically got run through the entire thing. But yeah. on the other side of it, it just it was a weird team to be on and to have all this with. Yes, now I see from the interviews afterwards that they may be setting something up with him and Danielson and a couple other things to go from there, but it just the logic of it didn't make sense to me. And so I enjoyed the match, but I, I was having a hard time getting into it because I'm like, this just, the pieces don't fit. Why are you doing it this way? And lest we forget that Daniel Garcia, it, there is going to be a feud with the House of Black coming down the pipe for him because that whole thing happened in Collision. 
Right. And it, so it, it, it's funny, JVL, because when you said this as we were watching the match, I was trying to connect the dots as to why they made these teams the way they did them. And when you look at them, you can make a case that Brian Danielson, Claudio Castagnoli, Daniel Garcia, and, and Mark Briscoe are more face-oriented, whereas Jay White, Brody King, Roosh, and Jay Lethal are more heel-oriented. I kind of disagree with Roosh. I feel like he was being presented more as a very hit, hard-hitting kind of baby face throughout the whole entire tournament because he's most of his tweet. opponents... He's yeah. a tweener, yeah. Because most of his opponents were heels in the Gold League. <laughs> yeah, but that promo spot when he first came back was kind of aggressive. Yeah. When he first came back, and then in the tournament, he was portrayed as this like middle-of-the-road kind of thing. Same with Brody King. Because Brody King was like going off and, and hauling off on people, and people love Brody King, even though he's yeah. supposedly a heel in the House of Black by himself. He's a lovable big idiot. I love him. Yeah. I still so. I think that we said this during the when we were watching the pay per view that we could have taken this match and put it on Zero Hour, and then taken Willow and, and Chris Statlander and, and and made that the the first match of the actual World's End pay-per-view. But it was entertaining for the nitpicks that we have. It was entertaining. It was nice to see Daniel Garcia get that pin. What are we doing with Jay, uh, with Jay, uh, with Jay White? I don't um, think they know what they want to do with Jay White either. And yeah, I'm happy to see that Brian Danielson didn't win the Continental Classic. Hey, bye! <laughs> he didn't want to at all, but I think with Jay White... <laughs> I think with Jay White, AEW is waiting to see who is still left after this round of contracts come through because depending on who's still on the roster, do you push Jay White then because he's on your roster and can't handle that? Or do you have enough people lined up where you never really had an idea for him in the first place, so now you can figure out some other place to put him? All right. Fair. That's fair. That's fair. I don't know. I mean, lest we forget, he Bullet Club Gold. Gold! That's a thing. You know what I mean? Oh. Go ahead. Let's, next. Next. Yeah, so hopefully now that we're done with the Continental Classic, I'm hoping that Bullet Club Gold makes a returning. Obviously, it's just going to be Jay White and the guns because Juice Robinson is out with injury for who knows how long. Oh, he's going to do the Adam Cole type of thing where he's just going to be injured and walking around. He can Please. run his all day long. Oh, yeah. Please. And people will I, eat that up. I'll eat I that love, up. I love our honeycomb monster. He's great. Yeah. Uh, again, love Daniel Garcia picking up the win here. I love Brody King also dog walking. <laughs> Daddy Magic on commentary too was hilarious. I also love yeah. the bit as Daniel Garcia was getting ready to do the dance, Danielson's music interrupts it. That was good. I'm a little intrigued to see what happens because yes, Daniel Garcia and Daddy Magic called out the House of Black, but I'm like, but they're currently about to have a match against FTO. I don't know what we're doing anymore. It's weird. But I thought this was a pretty fun opener. I had no complaints. So that was good. Moving on, after this eight all-star eight-man tag, we get into Andrade El Idolo versus Miro with CJ Perry at ringside accompanied Andrade. I'm mad. I'm mad. I am mad at this. Uh, I am mad at this crowd because they were really quiet for most of this until we got towards the ending spot. I'm like, you guys... Did I want them to do more? Obviously. Yeah. But I enjoyed this match. I, anytime I see Andrade or Miro in the ring, I'm not going to complain. 
And of course, as we got official confirmation during the media scrum, but also what we were told before the pay-per-view, this is Andrade's last match in AEW. Mm -hmm. He is going to be going elsewhere. His contract is up. I will have to be watching Monday Night Raw to see if he appears there or he appears back at CMLL. I'm not going to complain either, but right, right now, so we could switch over to it. No, nah, we're good. My if, DVR if any... is recording it. I can watch it. I already got spoiled with the first match. I'm mad. <laughs> Yo, our loving audience, I don't care about spoilers. I wouldn't be mad if someone posted it in the comments. I'm going to post it in the private chat. If there's, if there's but, an Andrade, but let's uh, talk about Andrade Andrade versus Miro. What do we you think? I mean, as, as Jesse put it, the battle of the two men who are most upset with their booking in AEW. <laughs> I like I I I was making the, those gestures when when we were doing the intro to this because I really enjoyed it. It was two big men, two, not only big men, but like big men that actually know how how to move in the ring, doing their thing, and it was fantastic. I also enjoyed the whole. Oh my God, the wife, not CJ. CJ Perry. CJ Perry, thank you, it is CJ. Yeah, I also did totally enjoy CJ Perry on the outside of the ring and how like when she first came in, she was with Andrade, but like when, as she saw he was getting beat up, was like flip-flopping and then that last final betrayal that looked at Andrade gave her and she was just like it was good it was good it was also Alice's uh, Alice really enjoyed it unfortunately Alice couldn't make this this review but she really did enjoy that it did add a little dramatic gravitas to it which we need in our in our testosterone filled soap opera but yeah the match was good I if it was if this is the well we know being the last match for Andrade in AEW, I think it was. I think it was a, a good last match. I, I think it's not one that he should be ashamed of. I feel maybe wrestling wise, this wasn't like super duper Andrade, but just again like storytelling wise and those other facets of wrestling, it was fantastic. And he, we need to applaud him as he goes on to do whatever he does now. These two had great chemistry in the ring, and I was very sad knowing that it was basically Andrade's last match took away a bit for me because there was no way I could get fully invested knowing that he's probably going to take the pin, all that type of stuff with it. The ending was a little confusing, but I also I figured they had to rush whatever they were doing with it because obviously with him not being there, you want to set up this hopefully thing they pay off in storyline where Miro still doesn't understand why CJ did it at all. And so now he's trying to figure that out as she continues to set up people for him to knock down or bring him back to some sort of center. I think fig I figure that they picked the right person though, because both of them carried each other to an amazing match and had Andrade not been leaving, this could have gone even farther and been a, such a bigger spectacle. But the one-two ooze, the Machka kick that does not knock somebody down to the game over, it just was well-placed, thought-out, methodical, and a good kind of reset after a couple of lame duck, duck matches we had. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then can we just send a shout-out to CJ Perry coming out after being in the hospital with a, a MRSA in that finger, and she still made it out there and looked glamorous? Miro's favorite finger. Yep. Yep. So, shout shout out to you, CJ Perry. Shout out to you. We're we're glad to see you back. And glad you're yes. healthy. Oh, absolutely. 
this match was a lot of fun. I'm interested to see what Andrade's future holds wherever he decides to go. And I really hope we continue to put Miro on television because the start and stop is starting to get on my nerves yeah. because I thought we were doing something after his all-out match against Powerhouse Hobbs back in September. And then he's just been waiting on the sidelines outside of a match with Action Andretti. I think one other match, he's just been sitting because of the tournament, but now that's over. Here's hoping that Miro gets pushed. Speaking of people that I feel like deserve to get pushed, we move on to our first championship match of the evening for the AEW Women's World Championship. We have challenger returning Riho, no less, taking on your champion, timeless Tony Storm. I loved both of these women in the ring. Obviously, the crowd wasn't as behind the wrestling as they should, but they were behind Timeless Tony Storm as the character, yeah. which I love. Luther also got kudos for me in this match just because of being the butler was great. I thought this was an okay match, not the best technical-wise, but this was a fun one for me to watch. Tony just being ridiculous in every single way was fine. And Riho being the little Sailor Moon-like person that she is i love yeah. riho's joshi style of wrestling man and i feel like people don't get it but i do joshi style is completely different than american <laughs> wrestling and tony has a little bit of experience with that too given the fact she was also in stardom for a little bit too so boys what did we think of the clash of sailor moon versus a modern day hollywood starlet <laughs> sailor moon versus betty grable <laughs> I thought it was I thought it was a great match. Yeah, like again, technical wise, wrestling wise, maybe not the highest punch of the card, but entertainment wise, it was great. The Tony Storm is definitely killing it with this timeless star Hollywood starlet thing she has going. Riho, the only disappointing thing about this match was that they did not build it up until that promo right before the match, which they should have shown that so long ago to build it up. Because then I would have been like, oh yeah, Tony Storm did do that to Riho. So she had so she does have a bone to pick with, with Tony Storm. That makes sense. And build it up off that. That was my own, my only major complaint was, was that. And there were a few botches in there as well. But yeah, they should have built this up way earlier than they did. 100%. Uh, th this was, I felt like the match had two, two acts. It had the act with Luther there before he was thrown out. And then it, the crowd came alive at some point because then the two women could finally get to getting at each other and moving around a lot better than they were before where that were, there was that presence that was slowing things down outside. But you have Riho versus Petty Lamar because she's not petty, but she's petty. And I loved that once Riho was given that go to like finally flip out and have things on, it was a lot more fun. And also the submissions were even worse because Tony was literally sitting on the ground. Oh yeah. So far back. Yeah. But, but then giving Riho that, that strong look, she kicked out of a storm zero. She kicked out of a couple of other big moves and my heart was actually a flutter for this because the ending came based on a Jake Roberts style DDT. He must yeah. be so happy somewhere that ended a match. And, yep. and th that's why I loved it so much was that it started off as a character piece and then ended up as a Joshi match at the end. And that's yep. what you wanted from it. So I was very happy with what they did, even with a, a few botches in between. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
I love these two women so much. I also love that Mariah May comes out. I was like, girl, did we forget the champagne bottle? But it oh, was a bucket flowers. of roses. And uh, everyone thought she was going to hit her with the bucket. because she. I thought yeah. too. I was just like, dang. Yeah. I was like, we're already turning on her. What has it been? Like, not even a month yet? <laughs> like, But I'm happy that Mariah May is still kind of Tony Storm's number one fan. I'm just hoping now, at least at the time of this recording, now that we have a couple of months until the next pay-per-view for AEW, because Revolution is in March, Hopefully, we start building up better feuds for Tony to go up against. We still haven't established whether her title is exclusively to Dynamite and Julia to Collision. I would love to see cross promotion because there are some women on Collision I think would do very well against Tony. Under yeah. <laughs> How many other people are returning as we were talking about that would have a great match with Tony Storm? Oh my gosh. I need Jamie Hayter to like. When she's ready, I would love to see Tony versus Jamie immediately. I think Jamie's the one that needs to take the title off her. I think so, too. Yeah, I think so, too. So really quickly, after this match was over, we got a quick backstage segment with Dante Martin. He talks about helping pick up the win on Rampage, but he's ready to actually take himself more seriously. And, of course, our favorite person to issue challenges, Orange Cassidy, comes out. He's like, all right, I got you, man. Like, you want this? Every time. This is the yes. best way to book these matches. Orange Cassidy comes up and it's just like, all right, bro, you're just throwing out challenges like that. I'll see you on Dynamite for the International Championship and just walks off and dodges his school. And now we have an inter- AEW International <laughs> Championship match on Dynamite between Dante Martin and Orange Cassidy, which I'm here for it. <laughs> I also love the fact that I was like, I thought Pop Flight was Darius and Dante. I guess action is taking the place while we're pushing Dante to go for singles goal, which, you know, sure. Either that or they're trios now, so we can we actually have another trios team in there. Technically, we have a trio that hasn't been... we. That's the only trio that's not involved in the storyline, and we could actually have to feud with the Acclaim, but they already lost their championship match, so who knows? I want to see House of Black tear them apart. Ooh, actually, that'd be kind of fire. <laughs> but who knows what we're going to do after this FTR House of Black tag team match on Collision? Who knows what we're going to do with all that? Well, who knows if Buddy Matthews is going to be sticking around in AEW anyways? Who knows if Malachi Black wants to stick around too? <laughs> I don't know, man. There's a lot of things that we're just waiting. It's just a wait and see game. And speaking of waiting and seeing, oh boy. (laughs) At this point, while not the most stellar work, I was just like, okay, this is where things are going to get interesting. Now, I want to put this disclaimer out there. I think they did the best they could. That being said, now let's rip this match apart. So next we had Swerve Strickland taking on Dustin Rhodes. Now, before we rip this match apart, this was originally supposed to be Swerve Strickland versus Heath Lee, but literally the day of the pay-per-view, Heath Lee posts on Twitter saying that he's been working with an injury for the last year and a half now, according to the tweet. It was mostly healed up, but he didn't take the time to heal all the way properly, and AEW doctors had not cleared Heath Lee to do the match, so last minute, a couple hours before the pay-per-view, we got word that Swerve would be taking on Heath Lee's tag team partner in Dustin Rhodes. I'm glad we got him at final battle because this was hard. This was I, hard to watch. I don't blame Dustin and Swerve for what we witnessed. I blame the bookers. I blame Tony Khan because if you knew Keith Lee wasn't ready to go, why did you? I don't know what we're doing anymore. I don't blame the performers. But with that being said, let's talk about this match. 
And be careful, because you might get blocked by Dustin Rhodes for having an opinion. He's been all over Twitter today, really upset at folks crapping on this match. Yeah, but, yeah. I'm not going to badmouth or or crap this match. It was, for what it was, entertaining and enjoyable. For what it was and for what they had to do. I can't, I cannot fault, especially being someone who was in Dustin Rhodes' situation where at the last minute I got a phone call and was like, hey, uh, we need you to do this thing. Oh, by the way, you're the main thing and you have five fights in in this thing, but you have three weeks to, to learn all this. So, yeah, go get it. I haven't been in that situation I'm not faulting Dustin Rhodes. I actually am gonna I'm gonna applaud him and applaud Swerve Strickland for being able to put a some a match together with the cards that dealt with them that they had. Should it have just been pulled all together? Yes. And then that the time that time added to some other matches? Yes. That's not what happened. They called up Dustin at the lat literal last minute and I think that they put together a good match given the circumstance. I disagree with you on that one. I don't think that they should have pulled the match. My gripe with this is not with either of the performers because they put on one heck of a match together as they are two brilliant performers. Dustin Rhodes is timeless at this point. Not Tony Storm, but he's timeless. And Swerve can work anybody to make them look amazing. My gripe was the fact of you had a setup here with an actual injury that stopped the match from happening, and then you do an ankle break spot on that same person, and yet even though they shouldn't be cleared to go, just like Keith Lee wasn't, now you're putting them in a match, and not just a match, but a 10-minute-plus match. Like, if you're going to break his ankle, make it a short one. He embarrasses hit Dustin Rhodes because of what he did to him. Knock it out. Or don't do the ankle break until later in the match when you're five, six minutes deep. Swerve yeah. breaks his ankle in the middle of the match, yeah. and he soldiers through. This threw off the entirety of whatever narrative they had running with it and also crapped on what was actually going on in Keith Lee's life, which made it hard then for Swerve to react because, okay, I've done the thing I've done, but now I have to work even harder to beat Dustin Rhodes for 10 minutes after breaking his ankle, whereas logically, I either should be good enough to embarrass him at this point in his career, or I should be good enough to take him for a while, get frustrated, and then beat the crap out of him. That's what bothered me, was it just, it was nonsensical, as if they really couldn't think through even a a small part of this. Who's booking this crap? (laughs) I don't know, man. This was a hard sell for me, because once again, I don't blame Swerve or Dustin, but I'm echoing the sentiments of JBL here. I feel that there were other ways that you could do something like this because the talent is there. Swerve has proven time and time again he can work with just about anybody to make a really good match. And Dustin has the experience on being able to adapt if need be. But man, I hated the beginning half of this match. I feel that if we did that during the match, after five or six minutes had they actually started wrestling, I think it would have been better because you get... Now, I don't want to speak for all the wrestling community, but I feel that the crowd would be invested more and be like, oh, dang, Swerve is being a jerk right now and beating up on Dustin. And then, of course, Swerve continues to have that momentum because he literally destroys Dustin. But I feel that there was a sequential... A sequence of events that were out of order that kind of made this match, like, very... Eh. I feel like I it switched things around and the sequence didn't write... I feel that it would have been a better payoff and you continue to have swerve with that momentum. Dustin is able to say he was, he survived. 
being in the ring with <laughs> Swerve Strickland, but I was disappointed, and it hurt me because I like both of these guys, but the bookers <laughs> didn't do them any service. If you're going to push Swerve the way you have been, though, he should be able to keep up his own against a veteran like that, and if you're going to break down the veteran even more, he should have embarrassed him. That's where Swerve's level is. He's at the AEW title level. He should be embarrassing folks that are not physically there or hurt, and he's not. It, it made no sense. It didn't, and it... This this one made me sad. Oy. I, I, I Again, I'm going to sit here in, in my corner, and I disagree with you both. <laughs> Do it, please. Um, in my corner and just tell us how we're wrong. I want to hear well, that. And I, and I will agree that it, it just seemed like there was just a sequence of things that that were out of order. But I, coming out of that match, I felt that Swerve still looked like a, a freaking monster. He still looked like he, because he, uh, towards the end of that match, he did destroy Dustin. And, and I feel it's still going to keep his momentum up. Me personally, Lizard Brain, no, we don't disagree on that. I think Swerve is going to be okay. <laughs> but that's my question to you, Adolfo, is that would that have been more impactful had he gone that full monster seven minutes earlier because the guy is on one leg? Or you know, does it make it that he had to work his way to that point and then finally break into monster mode when he's saying, I'm running through everybody, I'm big? Like, it, it just it, it, it dilutes it for me. I think that it makes Swerve look like he he want he's going to get that W by any means necessary. Harkening back to the Hangman Adam Page match, that he will he's going to do what he's got to do to get the job done. He works for the but, adversity, but in that match, he was also being completely run down by Adam Page as well. He basically broke Dustin Rhodes's ankle before the match <laughs> even started. Mm -hmm. So at this point, once this match was done and over with, I was like, well, all right, this wasn't the most stellar thing. I was just like, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I don't, again, I don't blame Swerve for Dustin Rhodes. It didn't get so, hijacked by the crowd, though. It didn't get hijacked by the crowd. So before yeah. we get into the match that got hijacked by the crowd, this is where I am going to forewarn anyone who is watching. Before we talk and dissect this next match, we do have to bring up the news that broke before the pay-per-view on Saturday morning, a couple hours before World's End was supposed to go live, about Chris Jericho and some certain allegations made against him and just all the things that came out. So we will be referencing things of SA and those kinds of nature and stuff like that. This is your warning now. If you are triggered by that kind of stuff and it's going to be hard for you to listen through the first half of but while we talk about this please go ahead and take a couple minutes and then just come back and check in with us and then we'll be out of our way let, let us so, know in, in the uh, in the comments in the chat going on right now that you're back and we'll talk to you there yeah for reals mm -hmm. all right let's get to the stinker of this whole entire thing just because of everything surrounding what happened outside of the ring in terms of the news and the in-ring was not great either we have another eight-man tag. This time, we see the team of Les Sex Gods. Ugh, gross. I hate saying that. I should have thought about that better. But Chris Jericho, Sammy Guevara, and Darby Allen and Sting taking on the team of Ricky Starks, Big Bill, and representing the Don Callis family, Powerhouse Hobbs, and Konosuke Takeshita. 
who was a last minute change. Because it was supposed to be Kyle Fletcher, but then the internet threw, had a riot, and then last minute they threw in Konosuke Takeshita instead of Kyle Fletcher, which on the one hand, I don't know. Obviously, it wouldn't have improved the match anyways, I don't think, but at least we're getting Konosuke back in the ring because it's been quite some time since he's been there, and I get the feeling that maybe Kyle would have taken the pin yeah. in this match. I'm still not happy about who took the pin in general, but it is what it is at this point. Uh, so, it, is a, yeah. we, it is also uh, to just to point out that on the other side, uh, this was a bit of a scramble as well, uh, because this was supposed to be the Golden Jets. Right. Taking on Omega, Ricky right. and Big Bill. But Kenny Omega did, he came down with uh, diverticulitis. Kenny Omega, we hope that you are healing and recovering and we can't wait for you to get back. But because Kenny Omega had to drop out and it was so sudden, that's where we got this eight-man tag situation. Tag schmoz. This was a whole mess. So before we get into this match, let's do some journalistic intent. We're going to quickly go over it. <clears throat> because you're going to want to stay tuned because we're going to do a longer discussion on this later in the week. But really quickly, a few hours before World's End was supposed to air, news got dropped that Mr. Chris Jericho had not done not some nice-so things. Essentially, what brought this to light is that Chris Jericho was going back and forth with, was it CM Punk's attorney, I think? Yes, it was CM Punk's attorney. So yeah, the whole light to this powder keg was that CM Punk, they were talking about the that brawl at All Out and how people had signed NDAs and then Chris Jericho piped in, he's like, I didn't sign an NDA and Chris Jericho's, I'm sorry, CM Punk's attorney then shot back again, this is all on on social media CM Punk's attorney shoots back it, it's in your employee handbook, you should read it, to which Jericho made this long-winded. I I don't reference this uh, employee's handbook. handbook in the in the last five years that I've been with AEW. I've never had an uh, employee handbook. Uh, you need to stop. Blah 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 blah. So again, this, this is still back and forth between CM Punk's attorney and it, it's a big dick swinging contest. And then out of nowhere, a reporter Player three enters the chat. <laughs> Nick Houseman comes in and says, if I were you, Chris, I'd be careful because you have some skeletons in your closet and th this can swing really bad if those skeletons were to come out. And then Nick Houseman goes on to, to which if you watch the, the Rampage review, I actually do a much in, more in-depth breakdown of it. The article was on, I believe, scscoops.com. Yep. So in any way, Nick, and again, we're still dealing with social media where Nick Houseman then harkens Chris Jericho to Harvey Feinstein and how Harvey Feinstein was a really me uh, powerful mega producer. Harvey Feinstein made some great movies. Harvey Feinstein is now in jail. And if those skeletons were to come out, Chris, not saying, but might happen to you. And, and then another tweet came out, which was a retweet from, from a while ago where it was, where it was coming up that Kylie Ray 
found herself in a situation where Chris Jericho had invited her. Again, this is allegations. These are allegations. Okay, allegedly. Yeah, let's legally say that. <laughs> yes, allegedly. Um, we do. Jer- can we also say we believe the victims in this? But oh yeah, oh totally. But yeah, at this point, we have to say allegedly. But that Kylie Ray was invited up to Chris Jericho's room. Chris Jericho made a pass at her, and she flipped out. And well, that what was said was allegedly that he that she was invited up there for uh, kind of a, a coaching session or for right yeah I apologize yeah doing, and she was yep. she thought there were going to be other people there. there yeah she was told allegedly that there were going to be other people there and then that what transpired was he was by himself made a pass at her and thank you for refreshing my brain on that and made a pass at her and she flipped out and then. At the end of that, Kylie Ray responded to that tweet with a big heart. So again, this is a hell of a lot mental health wise in the mm-hmm. last couple right. years, which all seems to have stemmed a lot from this. Right. And then the questions came up about her leaving AEW if Jericho had anything to do with it, but Tony Khan said that it was an amicable split and both parties were happy with AEW and Kylie Ray, blah blah blah. So unfortunately at this time in this with this situation, there are still a lot of unknowns that, you know, we want we want certain people to get their comeuppance, but... But it's a lot of alluding to and threats that yes. basically weaponizing this poor person's experience later on to get people, somebody for swinging their dick too far on Twitter. Yeah, or people because... With months ago, years ago. Right. But this now leads us into this into this match because every time Jericho hit the mat, the crowd was booing. There were signs being held up. <laughs> okay. Before we get into the actual wrestling, let's right. talk again because the free dude was still happening because everybody was making their entrance. Jericho makes his entrance first for his team. Half the crowd was singing along. Half the crowd was booing. If you take a Didn't look in the back. The crowd on the live yeah. feed. Which yeah. was crazy, and then they kept trying to cut away from the crowd, but there were signs that Jericho go away, like yep. ND, Jericho yep. NDA. I was just yep. like, this is getting crazy. Yeah. There were Kylie we're Ray chants during the match, yeah. like it was crazy. But then, before we get into the again the wrestling, some of the other wow moments is, as Darby is making his entrance. Allegedly, he is looking in the ring where Chris Jericho is. And they didn't cut this from the replay because I watched it yesterday where we hear Darby Allen allegedly call Chris Jericho. I think uh, allegedly that's who he was addressing, but we did hear some Darby call somebody a piece of shit, <laughs> which was crazy. But then to make matters even more crazy, in the middle of this match, Chris Jericho tags himself in. Ricky Starks gets tagged in. Ricky Starks just looks at Chris Jericho from the other side of the ring puts up the biggest middle finger to Chris Jericho yeah. and tags himself mm-hmm. in. And I caught like powerhouse hobbies. Bro, I don't think, what? Wait, oh, okay, sure, fine. Yeah. Hobbs was like, what? Oh, okay, sure, I'm getting in this ring. Ricky was not having it either. But now that we've talked about everything surrounding outside of this match, let's talk about what happened inside this match because this inside this match was also a flipping mess. This was garbage. This was not good, you guys. Except for Takeshita and Darby. Those are like the only two people that highlighted that for me. I feel like this was the two, the match, the Phantom of the Opera match, where this match had two sides, right? Yeah. Because when you, have, when you had Ricky Starks and Big Bill and Powerhouse Hobbs and Takeshita and Sammy and Darby in the ring, it was dynamic. It was great. They were, they were getting at it, and they were hitting those 
crazy moves. I'm giving Sting a pass. He is retiring in March. All right. So yeah, when he comes on, he's not going to be doing like the super duper flips. He's going to come in and he's going to clean house. This is his retirement run. This is his swan song. Give him his flowers. He comes to the ring. He clears everyone out with some punches. He howls and then he tags back out. And I'm fine with that. I am fine with that. Couple Scorpion Death drops, a Scorpion um, Death block. Right, do, right. do the greatest hits. But then when Jericho was in with anyone else, and also like when he was in there with Sting, that's where it just all got Sting was doing ugly. To really interact with him. He's dude, stop trying to draw me into this. Yeah, that's what I felt like. That he Sting was really trying to even when they were both putting the, the Scorpion Deathlocks on, who was it? On Hobbs and Big Bill, I think. Both of them yeah, as right. the big guys. When they were doing that spot, it, it almost felt like Sting was, dude, no, okay, fine, we're doing this. You know what I mean? But uh, yeah, it just, and for whatever reason, Jericho was the one that was in the ring the longest. And I don't know why. I don't know if that was a callback to how this was supposed to have been the golden jets versus the the don callis family i don't know i don't it's know ego. it's all ego I, and and if the other part of it is like you would think on the day with a veteran like sting being on your team he could say to him no you're gonna sit on the side you're not going to enter that much because you're going to draw focus from everything that we do. You're going to be the worst person to be. But no, Jericho knows better. He's got to show he's the best. Meanwhile, you've got Sammy nearly concussing himself again on that jumping cutter, which yeah. was ridiculous. And this, so Adolfo, harkening back to what you said earlier about the Phantom of the Opera match, the other thing I think because of the buzz around Jericho and all that stuff that was going on, I think, at least with Takeshita and Big Bill, there was a, a bit of an adrenaline surge every time they got in there. Like, I got to save this. I've got to yeah. do that. Because yeah. Big Bill's big boot to Sting definitely hit him square. There were yeah. a couple of knees from Takeshita very snugly against Sting that threw him for a loop. He didn't get up in time, obviously, to get to one of those spots. He was still trying to pull himself up on the ropes. Yep. So there was a couple of mishits, which, again, I can't blame on anybody. But Takeshita, we know, works snug. He's going to work really that DDT style. So if you're in the ring with him, you're going to get knocked around. But it seemed like they were running about two gears too high for that level against Sting. And then Jericho, they weren't pulling punches. I think all of them were trying to get their shots in because he just, he continued to try to like milk this heat he thinks is so good. Yep. When it's becoming go away heat. It's not even X-Pac heat, it's go away heat. Yeah. Which we've said before, when Kenny went out, like, even before Alyssa came out, we're sick of watching Jericho in the ring. He needs to take time off and go away for us to miss him, which I don't know if we'll miss him now. But he's just continuing to, like, it, it becomes the Hogan-style ego trip, which he rallied against for so long that he's now on. Has he become the monster that he so vehemently oh, wanted not? That is exactly what happened. He drank he his was... own Kool-Aid. Yeah, exactly. You're in this business long enough, you end up becoming the monster that you hated to begin with. That's exactly what happened. Unless that, you're Sting. Unless you're Sting. Unless you're uh, thank goodness Sting. Sting has stayed here throughout this whole entire thing because that's why we love Sting still. Like, Sting is awesome because 
he's able to stay out of the yeah, yeah. craziness that the other side of the wrestling business brings. I love also at the end, Darby Allen kicking Jericho out of the ring to be like, get out of here. Sting's getting his curtain call. Get yep. out of the stupid ring. Do not yeah. stand up with him. That's yep. Yeah, exactly. Sting deserved better in his last match in New York, man. Like, for real. Yeah. He deserved yep. better. And just because how messy this match was and plus all the things that went on before said match in this pay-per-view happened, it, this was my low point of the entire night. Like, this was a tough one to watch. And the crowd was just drained in a negative way because this was not a good match. And also, the crowd was not going to let Jericho get away with all the allegations either. Which, by the way, Long Island, I got to give you credit because even though I have nitpicks with you during certain matches, you guys were great this whole entire time. Oh God, yeah. They yeah. ate almost everything up and you guys were great. And that's why because of how bad this match was and everything surrounding it that I felt really bad for the match that we got next. Once again, the women always have to do the thing where they have to try to get the crowd to care about what's about to go down because and after dug this, them out of the hole, they dug them out of this hole. How they did. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying because the TBS championship match between Abaddon and Julia Hart, like I felt so bad going into this, but by the end of it, I was like, Julia and Abaddon, they did that thing. They did that because they dug the they dug them, they dug the previous match out of the hole, and they were able to get the crowd to be come back and be invested again. And yeah. kudos to Julia and Abaddon. I hate that people are giving Julia such a hard time about the moonsault, and I'm just like, yes, it wasn't oh, I the know, cleanest. Right? But I was like, she is like what? Still in her early twenties. I was like, she is still new to wrestling, you guys. Like. Yeah. What more do you want from Julia? Do you want her to be out here doing flips and dips and tricks perfectly? I'm like, calm down. You need to relax. But I thought, yeah. And that's the problem. I think that's where it's also coming from is that because of the champion, people are expecting her to be perfect. But she's been amazing. There's nothing against it. Just people have a higher expectation in some weird reason. I don't know. It's so weird. Internet wrestling community, y'all are weird. You are weird. Hi. Hi. <laughs> yeah. But I really like this match. And again, between the two women's matches, this is the one that had the better build up in terms of story. Like, literally, this was a program that was built up it over did. four weeks on collision. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And I was yeah. just happy to see Abaddon on pay-per-view. Like, they... Yeah. Yep. going this was on display. Yes. Yeah. The, I will say the two things that bummed me out about this match number one i would have gone for a lot more spookiness from both women right and we know that they that both of them can bring the spook you know what i mean so i would have loved to see more spooky stuff from the two of them maybe a julia hart black mist it, it, abaddon's face and then abaddon just oh you only visit the shadows i grew up in the shadows like turns to her and, you so that and uh, i know that sith blue is now julia's lackey but I wish they wouldn't have had her come out and and interfered. And it was a minor interference. I'm. It was a minor interference, and in, in the scheme of the match, it really didn't 
it, it didn't really weigh heavily on anything. But that's the thing is that it didn't weigh in on anything. We didn't need to have that. If you wanted Sith Blue to be out at the ring, have her come out and, and be at ringside and bark at, at Abaddon. But yeah, but yeah, that so those were my only two gripes about the match. Other than that, they really, especially with the hole that they were in, they really came out. They did their best. Julia Hart is she's still learning, and but I think that she's coming leaps and bounds from where she was from her from her early matches from earlier this in 2023 that we watched on Rampage. Like, I, I think she's just come leaps and bounds and she's just going to keep going up with her title title run. 100%. I, the, my thing I love about this was it showed also that while Abaddon is a monster, she's not unbeatable. She's not like your standard Kane, your Undertaker, where they're just going to power through everything else. She is just relentless, but can be beaten. So having that spookiness along with stuff would have been a lot better. You're right. Like having that spot where she gets misted, eats the mist, enjoys it, and then spits it back at her or something would have been a lot of yeah. fun. Yeah. But I also enjoyed that she got distracted, went after, that's right, they went after Sky Blue and killed Sky Blue, which was what they needed to do. It's it was hard for me to watch and knowing that this is probably going to go the way it went, but the two of them had great chemistry. The pacing was wonderful. And even having the bite rule, which was a weird stipulation on top of the house rules to do, it played into that spooky and that yeah. I just want to hurt you. It doesn't matter yeah. if I win. I need to do that. Though we did joke on the stream, wouldn't it be funny if like next week, since Abaddon bit Julia, she's infected her until she becomes yeah, like a Abaddon. But I want this to not be done. I think this needs to have another match, maybe a handicap match between Abaddon and the two spoopy oopies where she can actually run through them, not for the title, but just to get her revenge. Like yep. they, they need that in their career to do so i'm happy abaddon's brought up i'm happy abaddon is now solidly on tv give me more of their matches yep the only the other thing just really quick i would have loved to have seen julia hart fighting abaddon back i that would have been yeah that would have been fantastic yeah that would have been so great but again i feel that julia and abaddon did a great job in getting winning the crowd back after what they had to witness in the prior match before this. You all don't deserve what we gave you. They really didn't, but that's why I have to give kudos to Long Island because they got over themselves a little bit and then they got invested. They're like, you know what? We got to support Julian Abaddon here. So let's, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. I wish the LA crowd was like that during Full Gear. I'm still not over what I you heard. You were that so day. bitter about that LA crowd and you were so railing how much you were happy that wrestling was coming to LA because it was such a great community. I'm like, Ugh. I was that just upset. Right, Los Angeles, get on our level. The people that we were sitting with, I was upset. They literally, I was literally upset. I'm like, how are you going to treat the TBS championship match at Full Gear as the P break match? I was so mad at them, and that ended up being good because those three women had to do everything they can to. I was, yeah, get the crowd back, that was, but that was dramatic. anyway, fans ruin your wrestling experience. All right, right? Can you believe God. that? But not this crowd, because then, thanks to Julia and Abaddon, they ended up giving the correct amount of energy for what was my match of the night. If you ignore the last five minutes that happened after the initial winner happened, which we'll get yep. into. But if yep. we, but upon second viewing, I'm still upset about how the 
second of the last five minutes after the match ended happened. This personally was my match of the night, only because this was a love letter to Christian and Adam Copeland's history together, their history One as a tag team. Foley. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this was for the TNT Championship match in a no DQ style of match where anything goes, no countouts, no disqualifications. You have Christian Cage defending his title against Adam Copeland. Again, this was Adam my match. Adam Copeland. Adam Copeland. Yes. Thank you for interrupting my stream of consciousness. But again, this is my match tonight because this, basically they hit the trifecta of the holy untrinity that is no DQ, TLC, table, ladders, and chairs. Nick Wayne missed the table completely but sold the heck out of being burnt to a crisp. But it seemed that he hit the mat a little bit harder than he was intending to. And then him flopping like a fish was hilarious. I love this match. This was so great. We'll get into bits and pieces. But Adolfo, I'm going to start with you. That that does that begs the question, like, how many flaming tables has Nick Wayne been thrown into? He's worked uh, in GCW. <laughs> okay, but still. Electrical light bulbs, but not as Yes. Anything. So, yeah, he, he might have jumped thinking, oh, I'm going to land on this table, but like midair been like, mm, I don't want to land in fire and miss. But yeah, I know this was, this was a, a great match. It would have been one of my tops of 2020 had it been earlier. It just goes to show Christian Cage and Adam Copeland, they are masters of their craft. They know what they're doing. The way that they were able to work, not only Nick Wayne, but Nick Wayne's mom, into the, the into this match it just it was a sign of guys that like not only knew but but love this type of thing and normally i don't like the weaselness that christian cage is and running off and 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 his cronies coming in but again with adam copeland the, it, it just worked this whole thing worked this match worked it was a great match Definitely ma my match of the night. Was not my match of the night. Upon review afterwards, I did love the kind of references to all of their different battles. And not only them, the Flaming Table and the Dudleys, the spot with Mick Foley that was like non a non-spot where Adam Copeland didn't go through the ropes into the Flaming Table. The latter spot, like the Hardys would do, where Christian did the giant splash over as that came over, were all great, like, nostalgic pops to this but also told the story of their entire career together as well as where, when they went separate like the bar in the mouth very uh, reminiscent of Randy Orton and who they have stuff with as well my it, it was given enough time it was given enough space and they worked every single minute into it with also great interference from the side that we knew was going to happen and that chicken s heel work from Nick Wayne really worked throughout the entire thing like being a coward in and out Upon review, I, I didn't like the ending angle at all. I was really mad when we watched it live. Upon review, it still gives them a place to go to get that rubber match now because now they've given Copeland the title and taken it directly from him. What it screams more to me, though, is that the bookers don't trust Luchasaurus to carry the end of a feud. Yeah. And they're not giving him a chance to do so with a man that actually could carry him to it in Christian Cage. I'll buy that. I don't mm -hmm. think this was, that. we feel like we have to put a title on Adam Copeland because he's been here for that long. He doesn't need it. 
And he said that on a couple of occasions. So this was definitely the bookers going, let's just do a money in the bank and let's do it in the way that seems right because we've already built up that Christian can basically make Luchasaurus do whatever he wants, even though we keep teasing this, that there's going to be a breakup. So it just seemed rushed and not needed. Yeah, I... So I didn't mention those last five minutes of the match. And I, that, that's fine because that, I did try to separate that from the actual, the match itself. But you are 100% correct. I feel that is totally the bookers, the people in the offices saying, oh, Luchasaurus can't carry this type of storyline. I look, thinking back on it, if you had Luchasaurus come in, and had him cash in on that and had him instead of giving the the contract over to, uh, to Christian Cage bully you know, have him throw Christian Cage out of the ring sign the thing and then pin Adam Copeland and come out as the TNT champ like I would have been I would have been fine with that I would have been like oh okay but even okay. have to come out a little earlier and wave it around to scare both of them during the match but yeah, just the, the way it came off, it, I don't, it also doesn't, it makes, in my opinion, it makes Luchasaurus, it makes, I'm sorry, Kill Switch look like a little bitch. Which is like, what they're going for. And that's terrible because you're, he's supposed to be a big freaking lizard, a big walking Tyrannosaurus Rex of a half reptile, half man thing that tears into, into wrestlers. And Christian Cage just whispers some, no filet mignon at the end. Come on, man. Come on, man. Yeah, that was very, that was very disappointing. The last five minutes the of that, or that, let's call it a segment. Let's call it the five minute segment yeah, following. The match had ended. Following the match, yeah. The match following had ended, match. but de yeah. it deflated all the energy in the room. Yep. It deflated the balloon they had blown up to this amazing pl place. Because yep. why? was upset at that segment because we had a very fun TNT match and this was a lot of fun and then last that five minute segment deflated it which I was afraid of for our next match but then I re remembered who was involved and it was like ah they're gonna be fine so in our semi main event for World's End we have the Continental Classic Finals between J between Gold League winner John Moxley taking on a Blue League winner Eddie Kingston to become the inaugural Continental Classic champion or Continental champion, I should say. The Triple Crown champion, I believe. The Triple Crown it. champion. Now, I had to re thankfully I rewatched this pay per view for a second time because when we were watching it for the first time together on our watch along, go check the Patreon if you want to see that. Link in the I was. Yeah, link in the description below. I was taken out of the match after that really gnarly headbutt dive that Eddie Kingston did, and he dived straight really into the barricade. Himself, yeah. Oh, oh, my gosh. And I just want to say, do we think that that head injury caused the match to be as, like, as it was? I don't as think it so. No. I think for the next two or three minutes, like Mox would do his Mox would check with Eddie when they were fighting. Then once Eddie let Mox know he was okay, because it was still brutal. That uh, whoever posted the picture on Twitter 
earlier today. I love them forever. Too bad I don't remember the username. But they're like people complaining about the Continental Classic, and this is what we got. And it was a still shot of Eddie chopping Moxley and just the impact. And we just saw Moxley's peck just like ripple. I was like, that's not Photoshop. That was a real thing that happened on that pay-per-view. Yeah. Was this any groundbreaking storytelling for me? No, because this is not the first time we've seen Mox and Eddie fight each other. Did I enjoy the brutality that was this match in terms of how hard they hit each other? Absolutely. I have a propensity for violence. This was a lot of fun. <laughs> Those chops, man. Eddie Kingston almost oh, doing yeah. all four corners with the machine gun chops. I was just like, once again, I love that AEW mics up the ring because... From where we're at and where we're at home, we heard those chest chops between yeah. both of them. It's a beautiful yep. thing. Yep. So this is going to sound strange. This was my match of the night. You upon know what? Upon review. Yep. When we were watching the live stream, our friend Jesse did turn and say, like, at the beginning, the way the feeling out process was going, it seemed like Brock versus Goldberg in their match at WrestleMania 20, where the, neither of the, them wanted to commit to anything, and they were trying not to hurt each other on the way out. I agreed with him in the moment, but going back and watching this again and taking that dive out and realizing he was okay from it, because that also tinged my first watch. It was like, oh, God, did he break his neck? The beginning, the, the feeling out process of this match felt to me like mom's gone out for the day. And my brother and I have had a humongous argument, and now we're just, do we do this? Do we actually physically go after each other? Is this going to happen? Because we've been talking about it, but I, I'm not supposed to hurt you. But at the same time, you really got under my skin here, and I, I need to assert my dominance for some reason. And that's what it felt like building up until the German after the dive, and then when it finally got into, we're just, we're going all out. And feeling that love and hate at the same time and watching them put it across their faces that way as well as knowing as performers they were trying to take care of each other to the other to the best of their abilities it gave an undercurrent to the match that i just didn't give it on the first watch and i was surprised how deep it got for me and i don't know whether that's just me putting it on myself or whether it was actually there but it definitely felt as two men who have known each other forever that no, they probably shouldn't be fighting anymore because they really share a lot of things in common. But we have to. Because you've gone too far. And you've gone too far. So this ended up being my match of the night and the right person won. I am going to now make an effort in the next 48 hours to rewatch this match now. Because after watching it, I thought I, I thought it was... I was done. I was good. I still feel like... After Eddie took that horrendous knock to the head, that it to me it felt a little eh, it felt like a little slow. But now, having heard that take on it, JVL, I'm gonna rewatch it. So I'm, I'm still not. It's not my match of the night, and it probably won't be. But I want to rewatch it and with that new context and, and see if that changes my overall view on the match. I didn't. I thought it was a. I thought it was a good ending to the Continental Classic. I will give it that, and I am happy that Eddie won. I feel that there's a lot of story that can now come. We can feed off of this with Eddie. BCC too. Yeah, but but yeah, that's what I'm doing. So, final thoughts for me on this match. 
even though I picked the TNT Championship match as my match of the pay-per-view, this was my second favorite match. And this one, it was really close. I will say, I think, entertainment-wise, the TNT Championship match is my favorite. But from looking at how we started the Continental Classic and how we got to the finals in terms of storytelling, this is my match of the night, storytelling-wise, only because we started the Continental Classic and we talked about it over on Dynamite, all the participants that were involved in the Classic, and we were talking about it. You go all the way back two months ago, I called this final being between Mox and Eddie Kingston because Moxley is the final boss in AEW for a lot of folks who are ready for that next level in order to be pushed to stardom. And Eddie Kingston is his rival, but you have also created the narrative that Eddie Kingston is going to be the underdog in the story because looking at everybody else when this tournament began, Eddie was the clear underdog in all of this because he was going up against the likes of Andrade and Brody and Daniel Garcia and all those folks. And Danielson, for, for that matter, too. Like, the deck was stacked against Eddie, and I... They made me believe that he wasn't going to win when he lost his first two matches. And then he won. Yeah. He beat Danielson in the block finals to reach to here, which, by the way, if you have not seen it, you're doing yourself a disservice. You need to go watch that match between Danielson yeah. and Eddie Kingston from yeah. Dynamite because that was my match of the whole entire Dynamite. Like, that was worthy of being a Continental Classic final right there. Mox also did a good job. I appreciate that they showed love to each other afterwards. Yep. I'm super happy for Eddie Kingston. What, Danielson was upset that they did that too. Did you see that? Yes. Like, I was just like, ooh. No, do, do not, you, that's not right. <laughs> that was crazy. So who knows if Danielson's going to have words for Moxley. I agree with Dolfo and I agree with JVL. I'm hoping that we keep Eddie and the BCC apart for a little bit especially since Mox and Danielson are going to be going to Japan next week to have their matches at Wrestle Kingdom. Right. Going to be good. And hopefully that means we get to see Eddie be on uh, Ring of Honor more since he is our with, Ring of Honor world champion. With all those belts, too. Like I'm looking forward to some yeah. defenses. There should be a lot of fun. At least prove it matches, which will be fun. Yep. Proving ground matches, absolutely. This was a fantastic match. This was my storytelling match of the evening. I loved it so much. And after this, we get into our main event of World's End for the AEW World Championship. We have challenger Samoa Joe taking on Maxwell, Jacob Fringman, MJF. Accompanied by Adam Cole. Bye bye. Adam Cole. Adam Cole. I thought this was a good match. God, I sound like a broken record. I liked it a lot. I liked, I liked it. it a lot. I liked it. It was, I thought that it was a great yin to the yang of their, of the Arthur Ashe match. I thought that, and I thought that for MJF's storyline, this was a great ending to his storyline and his run as a champion. He comes in, he's beat up a lot more than probably he wanted to, to let off. He, but he went down swinging. He went down swinging. And Joe just came out, just got the better of him. And I, I loved it. I loved it. I'm happy that, that Joe is now the new AEW world champion. I'm excited to see 
what we're going to be doing with with Joe and who his first like title defenses are going to be against. I and you know what? We'll I'll do a, a show on my crazy theories on who his title defense is going to be on. But yeah, I'm excited. And MJF, if you even catch wind of this, rest, my friend. You deserve it. You deserve it. It was a great match. You had a great run. Heal. Please heal. And then wherever you come back to, that way you can come back stronger and better. So He'll heal to become a heel again. Do you think so? He'll come back and get out. The crowd will still love him for a bit, but he definitely knows that he plays better off as a heel, and he's going to try to get back to that now. But it's hard being so brokenhearted that your supposed best friend has been working against you this entire time because the right person was shown to be the devil. Right. But but now that makes it that we have we have two heels going against each other. I, not that I don't want to talk about MJF, but I want to let him rest. I, I feel like he he is a fine stake that has been now it has been pulled out of the out of the out from underneath the scorpion and we we're now going to put butter on it and we're going to let it and put it aside and let it rest so that it can truly just be like when it comes out to the table. But yeah, now Adam Cole is the devil. And Alice was talking about this and I agree and she put it so much more eloquently, so much more eloquently than I could ever put it. But he's a real Adam Cole. He's a real villain. He's a real villain for this, all this manipulation and all, all these strings that he pulled and this, that, and the other. He, and then like that final, and may, I might be in the minority against Lizard, Lizard Brain, but that final where the lights went out before that, we had the, the devils come out and they grabbed both MJF and Adam Cole and MJF is saying, hit me with the chair. Adam Cole saying, hit me with the chair. And then the lights go out. And when they come back up, it's Adam Cole sitting in the chair and like then the slow pull out of the devil mask. I, I loved it. Loved it. Loved it. And the reveal of who's been under the hoods, as we all knew, it was Roddy and the kingdom and Warlow. Right. And Warlow, which those four were like, to me, they were a no brainer. Like you knew that they were behind the mask. It was just a question of were they the only ones that were putting this together or was there a ringleader, which there was. <clears throat> and I actually commented on our trip down to Sesame Place. I had commented this to Alice. If you think about Roddy and the Kingdom and Wardlow, like they are all schleps. You know what I mean? They do not have a brain amongst the four of them to come up with some sort of long con play like this. So yeah, you needed some sort of mastermind and Adam Cole was that mastermind. I saw a tweet or someone say how, or an article or, or something like that, how they feel that this is going to take away from the push that Roddy and the Kingdom have had. I don't, I disagree with that. I feel this only adds to their to their push and to making this faction like a significant threat. Like an undisputed era? Ooh, yes. 
perhaps. Like a Mount Rushmore? Adam Cole always gets involved in? <laughs> I will say, Adam Cole, for me, I like him as a face, but he works better as a heel. His best work in any promotion that he's in is when he's a heel. Very much, especially surrounded by his friends that all just want to have fun with it, too. I'm happy that the Kingdom also have the ROH tag titles because that could be now they can fly between both promotions because the Kingdom aren't as pushed in AEW. They're lackeys there, but they could go down and defend in ROH like they want to and reunite with Maria. And then you have the pull of like, Maria can like ream Mike Canellis or Mike Bennett out. Like, why are you listening to him? I'm your wife. I've been running your career the whole time. What's been going on here? There's such good stuff you can do cross-promotion wise with this. Yeah they do it we're gonna have to wait and see if we can so i do have a question though mm -hmm. all of wardlow's promos that have been the same promo for two months can we throw that out in the trash now that he's the heavy again for a group yes unfortunately how's that unfortunate so, he's gonna do better doing this that's very go ahead and i i was not gonna bring this in but like how that to me, puts him at the spearhead to go after Samoa Joe because that was his whole purpose. His whole reason for revenge against MJF was that MJF cost him his shot at the title. Now, he wants that title. And how, like, how poetic would it be if Adam Cole was like, hey, Samoa, we, we had a contract here. Now our boy we want that gold, you know what I mean? So, and Wardlow is the first one to step up for that. And I think that just, it just sets that up very well. Plus it's a, it's a meat on meat match. You can't go wrong with two big manly meat men slapping meat. Can't go wrong with the man. Mm. Uh, oh, oh, what's oh, oh, Normally under normal circumstances, I would be behind this idea. There's only one little glaring issue for me personally that I have in this whole thing. Yes. MJF cost Wardlow the chance to go at the title. That is very true. We also need to remember, though, that Wardlow did beat MJF pre being the champion for all this, too. Because remember, for way back in 20, 2021, 2022, remember, after Wardlow turned on MJF, they had a match. Wardlow beat MJF, and that was before he had the title. That was for so his contract, so he could be a free man. Exactly. So Wardlow beat MJF in that match, pre-champion MJF that we had for the last 400 and some odd days. You mean to tell me that we had him beat MJF? We never got any conclusion of when MJF won said title for Wardlow. Be like, all right, I want to go after that title. He got costed, but then he got taken off television, and we haven't seen him for months. And then he comes back, squash matches. That's all these promos. I was like, okay, so are we going to get Wardlow versus MJF at some point? And then now he's back in the faction. I'm just like, all right, sure, fine, whatever. Yep. If I can play the, 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 the other side of that coin, though, but look, Wardlow did get his revenge. He's been getting his revenge on MJF this whole time. And he finally did get his revenge. He might, it might have not been in a one-on-one -on -one match. But he took but... the thing he loved away. He took everything from him. Exactly. Exactly. And, and a month. Right. And not only is MJF's gold gone, but MJF, and again, props to Maxwell J. Freeman for his acting chops, but he sold that that betrayal just crushed him. 
So, and you had Wardlow standing over him, chuckling. Like, that... He got his ultimate revenge. Am I... Sure. That's fine and everything. But now what happens next? Because the Kingdom have the titles. You're setting Adam Cole to go on this heel rampage run. I think Adam Cole and... Adam Cole and Hangman, I think, are going to be feuding for the next couple of weeks slash months which i'm excited for hangman versus cole, or hangman versus the devil's advocates because cole technically can't wrestle still yet but well and that's right. why i think Wardlow's going to be his proxy at this point until he gets better he's yes. just my head to yes. me yeah which yep. is fine i guess my whole thing is that once again you and this is just a personal pet peeve of mine and anybody can disagree and that's fine with it i disagree me. of course you do but <laughs> My biggest issue with this whole thing for Wardlow is is that we did all this stuff before he got taken off of TV. I was like, oh, you know what? Interesting character development. He's more of a face now. Now we stick him as the heavy in another faction storyline. I'm like, okay. I was like, can we? Listen, I understand that you want your big boys to be the heavies when you have a lot of these faction, but you got to do something different. I'm just, I'm tired of seeing it. And yeah, I'm... It is what it is. Now, I will say, minus that nitpick, I love having Adam Cole be the devil. I love that Roddy and the Kingdom were a part of this. I love that MJF was had everything taken away from him. I thought that was fantastic. I feel that kind of meandered a little bit between when we initially got the devil versus the reveal of who it was because we had the, we had the whole full gear built where that completely disappeared off the face of the planet and it was post full gear where we got it back. So we had a whole month and a half stretch of, yeah, we can't really do this because Adam Cole got hurt. Let's do something else, which costed Jay White booking and just continuing to cut this man down to size, which I feel really bad for because Jay White's not the type of person to go on the internet and complain about it because he's a trooper, but he deserves better. But I like the ending to this. I love Joe being the champion. I think he's going to have some fun feuds. And I am making my prediction either at Revolution or Double or Nothing. Swerve is taking that title off of him and holding it until All In, where Will Osbury will take that title off of Swerve. There you go. You made the prediction. And Adolfo said you're going to talk about your crazy theories about that, too. That's I, I look forward to that, even if I could join in and throw a couple of things at you on that, too, which would be a lot of fun. So totes. we got ideas. With that, gentlemen, we've come to the end of World's End. Ha ha. See what I did there. Before we sign off for the evening, we need to do our final ratings. Here in 2024, we are using an out of 10 scale. Because we are the Grapple Gurus, we are going to be steal. Why are you giving me that face for? Why don't I have scale? Let me. Listen, Linda, let me finish. We have a we're still gonna use the empanada scale, but we're gonna use it out of. T- we're gonna use ten instead of five. Just yeah, use the normal. We should do your holidays. <laughs> Just use the five empanada scale and whatever score you get for that, double it. It's that oh. you want to complain about it so much by the powers invested in me, Adolfo. You can go first. World's end as a whole entire show. Out of World's ten end. empanadas, what do you give this? The entire show, I give it six empanadas. Good. Jeez. Oh, jeez. No, no, so, uh, so no seasoning yeah. whatsoever. No, six empanadas. Uh, they're just your standard ham and cheese that you make. It was, to me, it was a good pay-per-view. Not, or not, it was a, 
enjoyable pay-per-view. Yes, it had its hiccups along the lines, but there was not a point where I was, I looked at my watch and I was like, oh my God, this is still going on. So there we go. For mine, I would have started at about like a four or five on the first watch, but then I had leftovers the next day and I'm like, oh, these are better now. The, the stuff has melded better. The flavors have come together. And I'm understanding what the thought was behind these empanadas when they were made. They were just too hot when I ate them in the first place. So I jumped it up to about a 6.5. Better than average, better than Grand Slam, but not their best that they had. I am in the same boat as JBL. I'm going to give this a solid six and a half empanadas out of 10. I don't think this was the worst AEW pay-per-view, as some people are calling this. I still give Double or Nothing from 2023 as the worst pay-per-view of the year, just because of how overbooked almost every single match it was for no apparent reason. We Listen, Grand Slam Dynamite was a travesty, but Grand Slam Rampage was where it was at. And Adolfo and I can attest to it because we reviewed Grand Slam Rampage, and that was so, so. much better. It was a two-hour Rampage, and we got all the fun stuff. But in terms of worlds and I of the eight pay-per-views that we got from AEW in 2023, I get this. I put this with eight being the worst and one being the best. I put it at a six. I didn't think it was inherently bad. Now, everything that happened outside of what we witnessed on the pay-per-view, especially during that eight-man tag, definitely soured the mood a little bit. But I thought there were some fun matches. We wrapped up some storylines and now heading into 2024. I'm hoping that both Dynamite, Rampage, and Collision begin to tell more stories and we get new feuds because I'm still invested in AEW, but now that we clean the slate a little bit, now I'm going to see how we handle the next three months as we build towards their next pay-per-view, as of right now, Revolutions. I thought this was a six and a half out of ten empanada show. And with that, gentlemen, we have completed our first live-streamed pay-per-view review. I have got to go pee. With all oh of God. you people. Yes. I got to yes. pee. Let's go. <laughs> all righty. Thank, Thank you all for watching. We enjoyed being here. Yes, my back teeth are floating. Go ahead, Mikey. <laughs> of course. Thank you so much for tuning into our first live stream. We will be back next Monday. Some of us will be. If you are a fan of New Japan Wrestling, come back for our next pay-per-view live stream on Monday as me, Andrew, and whoever else wants to show up are going to be reviewing New Japan's Wrestle Kingdom 18. It's going to be a really fun one. If you enjoyed what we do here, make sure you check out everything we've got here at the Biconics Wrestling YouTube channel, which includes now live streams and edited reviews. You can expect an edited review of this pay-per-view tomorrow so that's going to be fun follow us all over the social medias at bc WrestlePod. we have a patreon now where if you want to see exclusive never before seen videos including our watch alongs where it's just like our podcast where we're unhinged it is out of control make sure that you subscribe to the patreon link in the description of this live stream below and then of course make sure to subscribe to wherever your favorite podcasting network happens to be for the biconics wrestling podcast as always, for myself, Adolfo, and JBL, and the rest of the Biconics boys, remember, take care of yourself, love one another, and as always, stay Biconic, you beautiful peoples. Until the next review, we'll see you later. But until then, talk for now.